Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Gaming Moguls podcast, the only gaming podcast where not every board game is fantastic. I'm your host, Mark Teske, along with my co-host, Mr. Jake Kloppenstein. Hi, Mark. How are you doing today? I'm absolutely awesome, Jake. I'm looking forward to diving into this one today. We've got a very special episode, which is going to be our year end. And I know we've always said that we were going to keep it to 60 minutes, and we are, I promise. But today we're going to run out to 90 minutes because we got a lot of stuff to get into. We're already breaking promises. We've only been doing this for four episodes and we've already (laughs) broken some promises. So technically speaking, this is episode three and we obviously number like computer programmers. But you know what? We're going to stick with it. So before we get going into what we're going to do this week, I really want to stop for a moment and say thank you to everybody that's checked us out so far and all the great feedback we've got. It's really, really been a positive motivator for Jake and I in getting this off the ground. And boy, if you like what you're hearing, the number one thing you can do for us or any of your favorite podcasts is tell a friend. So thank you one and all. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. So what are we doing this week? We got an action packed episode oh, I like for it. the team today. We're going to talk about what we played this past week. Then we're going to kind of do uh, we're going to briefly touch about our 18xx games. Sounds great. Then what we're going to do is we're going to do a yearly wrap-up, as Mark said. So what we're going to do is we're going to break this into three different categories, one being our top three gaming experiences this year, two being the top three games we played this year, and three being the best games that were released this year. The fun part about that is we have not cross-referenced each other's notes, so I have absolutely no idea what Jake has on his list, and hopefully we do not have the exact same things. Maybe we will. It'll be fun. We've never done this before. We've always given all the information to each other. Nope, this will be great. Oh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. And then we're going to pivot to move a little bit for 2019. We're going to say some of our goals for 2019. And then we're going to pivot into the top five games from each other's collection that we want to play more. So that'll be kind of forward looking and we can see whether or not we actually play these games. Yep. We're at a little bit of goal setting for 2019. I think that's a great thing anybody can do for the next year is to look back and reflect on how their year went and how they could do it better next year. And that's our plan as well. So absolutely. So uh, we did get a chance to do some gaming this week. And uh, Jake, hit me. What'd you play? I was able to play most of my games with you, but I did play one game this weekend with some family. I played a game called Dig, all capital letters, D-I-G. And this is by Chris Handy over at One Moment Games slash Perplexed. It's a member of the Paco Games, which are gum pack you know like the classic juicy fruit the juicy fruit sized game and i was giving it as a gift right and so we played it we played it at game night while we were waiting for some people just to play for three people and it was really fun it's a little pick up and deliver style game that fits in a gum style size container so i liked it i think i have played uh i have played hue out of that collection and i have played bus uh j mac loaned this to loaned those to us when we took our trip to japan and played a couple of those on the train right i think i want to get some more of them to kind of dig into it but i'm on a spending freeze because my shelf of shame is out of control the good news about those is uh they would go into your drawer of shame most likely not your shelf of shame (laughs) yeah it's it's so funny having it actually on my little shelf it's just like a little bit of debris well, to wrap up on Dig, I don't know about Dig, but at least going off of Hue and Bus, there might be better ways you can use your money. Yeah, I think Dig was good. I've heard that Hue is one of the better ones. I think Hue and Shush are the good ones, but they're just so mm. small. And the fact that you can fit 10 of them in the size of a Oink game, it'd be good for backpacking. It'd be good for train rides. It'd be good for even just having it be a bag game that constantly lives in your bag. And it's $5. You know, They have a niche for sure, but uh, gameplay wise, even, even Hue is a hard vibe. It was OK. Really? Oh, I, I thought Dig was yeah. fun. It was it was it was really yeah, light. It was OK. It was really light because what you're doing is your dogs. You're digging up bones in the yard 
and you're depositing them in bone bowls. And depending on how you pick them up and where you deposit them, there are certain ways that they're going to be worth certain amounts of points at the end. So it's set collection, but also you're changing the the values of certain bones. It was It was neat. Sure. And it played really fast and you could get pretty much anyone to play it. So... I also got a chance to play a game without you. I got I played 51st State with uh, my son, William. Uh, that's the Portal Games released by Ignacy Chevichek. That is a eh, originator, original theme around Imperial settlers and so forth. Um, not going to say a ton on it other than the fact that the young lad beat me. I'm not <laughs> super happy about that. <laughs> that's that's hilarious. We decided that that would be a game that would be good with our family with a different theme. So you were good enough to hook me up with your copy of Imperial Settlers so I can try that with the rest of the family later this right. Christmas holiday. I have never played 51st State, but Imperial Settlers is one of my top games. It's great. I have all the expansions, everything to it. I'd like 51st State because, you know, it certainly has a more interesting theme than Imperial Settlers does. See, you say that, but I don't know if I care about theme, but I do care about how the components look and the components look fine and the Imperial Settlers one. And I like the kind of cute cutesiness of it. So fair I, enough. They definitely have a different design ethos. Absolutely. Um, we also were able to play some games together this week at our regular Wednesday night game group. We started off by playing Blend Coffee Lab, which is a little trick taking game by Sashi and Sashi. It is a game where you're maybe the most hipster game on the planet. I know. I'm sorry. My millennial hipsterness is showing <laughs> the gist of it is you're making different blends of coffee to make different roast cups. And then you use these and they score a certain way for a trick taking. But functionally, it's a trick taking game. And there are some interesting rules to see if you play a card, other people have to follow certain cards. But it was pretty thematic, which is funny because I just said I didn't like like theme, but I do like coffee <laughs> a lot. And it was it was good. I liked it a lot. What do you think about it, Mark? Might be the least appealing theme on the planet to me. I cannot stand coffee. Gross. But having said that, it was a great game. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I like variants on trick-taking games that do unique things other than just laddering or something like that. And this one was unique in that you couldn't follow suit. You had to specifically play something in a different suit, and you had to collect all four different suits in order to complete a pictorial cup of coffee, which would score a different amount depending on the number of coffee beans and the intensity of it. So I, I like this one quite a bit, actually. And I uh, sort of wish I had a copy of that one. It's that great. is a uh, blend coffee lab by Takaro Takari. We also got a chance to play a yeah, favorite import game of mine. Ganshan clever by Wolfgang Warsh published by Schmidt spiel currently ranked number 329 on board game geek, which honestly I was pretty shocked by given that this game is not available in America for the most part. Right. It's an awesome one. Yeah. It's a Roland Roland Wright game. Another one of those by the uh, classic designer Roland Wright. And we've talked about this in previous episodes, so we don't need to go deeply into this one. But uh, my supremacy was re-obtained by a very decisive victory on that one. And I'm happy about that. I was very sad about it. (laughs) The one I was most excited to play, though, this one has been taunting me from my shelf of shame for months now. And it's always, for whatever reason, not gotten played because there's always something that seems to be newer and shinier. But... It's the number 40 game on Board Game Geek. We're talking about La Havre by Uwe Rosenberg. I know I'm a little late to the party on this one, (laughs) but I was able to pick this up at a sale this summer at the always awesome Level Up Games in South St. Paul, Minnesota. And oh, man, it lives up to billing. I, I loved this game. It's, you know, one of the Uwe Rosenberg big box games and timeline fell pre Caverna, I think. 
fantastic game, Jake. What did you think? I liked it a lot. So this was not the first time I played this. It's another person in our game group's favorite game, and I played it with them once. Um, I think we played the short version of it before, but the gist of this game is it's a not a worker placement game, but it's a kind of Euro conversion game where you're getting, you're a fisherman in Le Havre, France, and what you're doing is you're getting all these different resources, converting them to try to be the most profitable person. Then you're going to use these monies and resources to buy buildings that give you special powers that everyone can use. But I really like it. It's a fun game. Um, It's kind of different than his other design ethos games. It's not like the Caverna, Agricola, those kind of ones. There's, It's not a worker placement game per se, but it's one of those games where you just do one of two things on your turn. And that sounds really easy to explain, but the game completely opens up as you play it because these building cards get more powers and people build these building cards and anybody can use them. You do actually have a worker, which you get to go place on somebody's building. And the fun part is you don't have to bring him back. So you can leave him there blocking that building, messing things up for everybody else forever. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess it is technically a worker placement game, but it's not like the other ones where you play them all out and you then you do the stuff. It's it's a little different. So and I think you'd call it. You'd call it a cube pusher if it had cubes, which it doesn't. It has little chips with things on it like coal and fish and cows and so forth. Uh, I will be looking forward to playing this one significantly more often. I liked it a lot. It is weird, though. It it could use a little bit smarter board layout of design. I'm not a big fan of putting cards on a board. No, that never makes sense It just drives me me up the wall. Right. And I understand why they do it because it leaves you can put information at the bottom after you put it out there, but that could just as easily be done with a card that no one takes that looks different. And it, it, it facilitate set up a little bit better and it'd make the board look a little bit prettier, but whatever it was, it was a gorgeous game. No, no real complaints. Yeah. This is a game that 100% needs a storage and organization solution for it. Not only for putting it away, but for playing it as you're going out there, right. we had little neoprene tubs scattered all over the table full of bits. And honestly, it was a mess where everything was so far away. It was difficult to see what other people's buildings were because there was a mountain of little chip tubs between me and them. And, you know, an organization system of some sort is really, really necessary. Now, since we played, I dug into my storage of random storage things and found a Plano container that formerly lived its life as a Castles of Burgundy organizer, and it works perfectly for this, and it will be awesome for just setting out on the table, opening the lid, and having all the chips ready to go. Absolutely. And it fits perfectly inside the box. Right. Yep. What do you think of Lav? Well, I, I, I said it before. It's I, I'm a huge fan of Uwe Rosenberg. I have not met a Uwe Rosenberg game I don't like. You know, maybe some of the Tetris games, the Indian Summers and so forth, I've been less excited to try. But his big box games have all been solid wins for me on each and every one of them. And I've really been anticipating playing this one. It's funny. It seems going into it like it's going to be a crazily long game because there's 40 rounds or something like that where everybody's taking seven actions through that. But the actions are so tiny and so quick that it really flies through there fast. Right. Yeah, no, it's 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 a fast game. And the teach was not your best work. But I think with a fast teach and just kind of saying this is what you can do and explaining the cards as they come out, you can really skim this game down. I think we played it in two and a half hours, three hours. Yeah. And I think that is actually one of the real strong points of this game is now having taught it and having played it. You know, bear in mind, this was my first time at both of those things. Having taught it and played it now, I I could teach this game in five minutes. No problem. It's a super simple game where it's You move your ship forward and stock up. Then you either grab resources or you use somebody's card. 
that's the game that's it. and it's done that's the whole game. every round when you get to the end of the track you flip a card over when the card stack is done the game is done and you point salad it it's like a legacy game every time you play it starts off really simple and gets way more complicated as the game goes through yeah there are by the time you have uh, 30 or 40 buildings at the table that you can select from that does tend to snowball quite a bit right um, so why don't we give a quick brief update on our 18xx online games we're playing. To start off with, we're playing 1867, which is based in Canada, which is based on 1861, which is Russia. It's a run good companies game. Are you having a fun time with the game, Mark? I am. I'm I'm a little annoyed this morning with it. Yeah, it's I, I don't know what happened in this game. So we've played 1861, the Russian version of this. This is kind of an expansion in the same on BGG, it's viewed as an expansion. 1867 is to 61. It is kind of the same. It's a run good companies game where you're just kind of taking these miners and converting them into big companies that have 10 shares and it's incremental cap. And there's not really a lot other players can do to really hurt your positions. But and that's my challenge. Yeah, I'm I'm doing weirdly well in this. I didn't really think I was. I think I just avoided being nationalized better than some other people and had a couple more miners in pretty good locations. but. I'd love to try it again, especially now that we know the map a little bit better. Sure. Yeah. And I do. I do enjoy the 1860, you know, the, the that combination of games, the 1861 and 1867. They are the epitome of the run good company tree in 18, the 18xx family. Right. From the ones we've played, by the way. From the ones we've played almost to a fault. Uh, the challenge I had today is Jake is at a very prohibitive lead. And I attempted to throw a sharp elbow at him this morning to try to slow his roll a little bit by selling him down, only to be reminded that, no, 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 you don't actually hurt anybody's value by selling their shares in this game. The only tool we have left to us if we actually want to do something about Jake's lead is literally for the other four of us to band together and token you out of existence. So I do think I prefer a game with a few more levers you can pull to affect other players. Right. It's just one of those things where you have to snowball better than I snowball and hope that your snowball's mm-hmm. bigger by the time we make it down the hill. Yep. That's um, exactly the case. Now, right, talking th- about sharp elbows. <laughs> yeah. The next one we're going to talk about is 18 Ireland, which is um, one that we're playing that was pretty recently released, I believe. Um, and we're playing it right now. It's a game that has really interesting mergers that are somewhat similar to... Not in actually mechanics, but kind of in Indonesia, where you might want certain mergers to happen if you're in different positions and the way that it all gets voted through. But it's a really tight game with really cheap trains and really expensive terrain costs. And you always think that everything's going to be easy. And it's going interestingly. We played it before, and I think I squeaked out with a lead or I came in second. But this time, I'm trying to be a little more aggressive and use of my mergers and aggressive ways to take better value out of it. But What are your thoughts on it, Mark? My thoughts are is that I like this title a lot because of the fact that every company and every person in it is dirt poor. And there's a lot of people in a small amount of area. And everything you do not only affects you, it affects everybody else. It's got a crazy big tile set, but a crazy limited tile set. I know that sounds sort of at odds with itself, but there are a wide variety of available pieces, but only one of each. So if you need that certain piece... To go a certain way, you better make sure you grab that thing before somebody else grabs it and makes it gone for the rest of the game. Right. And the tracking is early. So a lot of the tracks that you assume to see when it's in brown phase, I apologize, this might go over some of our viewers that don't know 18xx, but some of the tiles that are in brown phase actually show up in green phase. So there's a lot more routes you can make that you would not think. And I got really screwed over by that last play. For sure. Still really early in that game. Too early to call who's actually in the lead on that one. and. 
I think the snowball is going to start coming here fairly soon. Absolutely. We also started into what I think is probably the strangest 18xx game that I've had the the privilege of playing so far. That would be 1880 China, which is <laughs> another uh, Lonnie Orger design, uh, Lonnie Orgler design, which I, I like his designs a lot. He does throw everything but the kitchen sink in there. And boy, this one's just plain weird. Uh, we're We're barely started on it. And I can't wait to see how it plays out. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's very strange in that you get building permits and you can only lay tracks during certain phases of the game that your company's allowed to and how long you're allowed to do that varies by how much you put into the game at the beginning. I don't it's know weird. how Yeah, it's a weird one. And then finally, we're also kicking into a playtest of 1828 a JC Lawrence design, so that should be an interesting experience. Can't tell you much more about that since we haven't started yet. But we're looking forward to it. We're eager. That should be great. Now it'll be a little strange having the designer uh, peeking in on us as we're playing i can only imagine what he will think of my gameplay but you know there you go <laughs> yeah i don't know if we're the best at 18xx but we, no. we try our best hey, and if we you like really it? want if you really want layman's opinions on how this works we're pretty good layman that should be our new our new slogan layman's opinions <laughs> best layman in board gaming all right <laughs> so with it being the end of the year, a lot of people will do some recaps, and it's always kind of fun to reflect on this past year and view the next one. So that's what we thought we'd do from a gaming standpoint. There's been so many games released this year, I know we didn't play even a fraction of them. Strangely, as I was reviewing what I had played this year, I played very few <laughs> 2018 releases, many less than I ever would have guessed. Like I played the daylights out of 2017 releases this year. But 2018 releases, I did not play a lot of them. I played less of them than I ever would have guessed. I think I only played something around like 10 or 12 games that were actually formally released this year. I have a lot of them on my wish list, but I kind of pumped the brakes a little bit on game purchasing. And a lot of the games that I bought from 2018 were really, really, really small box games, which I love. But it feels a little wrong giving a small box game that takes 15 minutes to play game of the year. So it was it was kind of interesting to validate that way. Um, sure. But it sh- and it sh- and also, too, I have a I have a general mindset just again. So, you know, my biases, I don't tend to buy games on hype alone. Yeah, there are a few. Certainly, there are some games that you can look at and go, OK, I'm excited about that one. And I'm going to give that a whirl. But oftentimes I will hold off a few minutes and just wait and see what the market thinks of the game first. Does it come out? Now that it's in everybody's hands and we're not just hearing it from another uh, reviewer, what do people really think of this games? And often I'll wait to hear what that happens. So that means that sometimes I'm six months behind the wave. And the upside of that one is I often find them on sale. And the same thing with that, too, is there's a lot of games that are just flashes in the pan that everyone talks about. And it's weirdly hot. Like two summers ago was uh, um, that game that looks like Crisis. It has all the aliens. I bought it and traded it. I have absolutely you know, no idea what game you're talking about right now. Right. I plainly haven't played it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, well, I haven't played I'm Crisis sure either, someone... so I really can't help you on this one. Right. I'm, it's I'm great sorry, radio, Jake. Keep, keep it I up. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I'll, I'll search for it. But there's games that just kind of come as a flat as, as kind of a flash in the pan. And these these we, we, we try to avoid those. Yeah, The one I think of there is Godfather. Right. Absolutely. And that 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 makes sense. Let's see if I can find my one on BGG. Thank Christ. Previously owned Cry Havoc. Thank Cry you. Havoc 2 Gen go. Cons Ago was the hottest game, and we played it, and there's great components, and it's a game by Portal Games, and I think it's by Ignacio Shevichek. Um, and it was, it was interesting, but 
everyone was saying it was like the best release of Gen Con and 2017 was, or 2016 was I think a pretty good year for games. And it seems like I'd never see anyone playing it. People rarely talk about it anymore. It wasn't super balanced, I guess. It was kind of the first game of the really asymmetrical powers game thing phase. Yeah, I think that's one of the big challenges with it is that there are some balance issues with the game that once you've played it more than once or twice, uh, it becomes problematic. Right. So why don't we hop right into it? Sure. Now, the way we're going to do this is, like I said, we have not reviewed each other's list. There might be some crossover. There might be some repeats. If that happens, uh, we're just going to make a short mention to it and maybe pluck out another salient point and move on. We're going to alternate this one very, very much in the style of some of the other popular top 10 lists and uh, take turns going down from worst to first. And with that in mind, we're going to talk about our top games of 2018. So as a background, Jake, why don't you explain a little bit about what this category entails? So our top games of 2018 are the games that we played this year, but this will not include any game that was released from before this. And there's another list that we're going to talk about after this list that 2018 games are mutually excluded from. Right. So this these are games that were specifically released in 2018. Yes. Got it. Making sure we had the correct list here. So with that in mind, I'm going to start counting these babies down. I'll go first. I'll throw it over to you and we'll uh, alternate back and forth. Sound good? Sounds wonderful. Let's do this. All right. I'm going to start out with a bang on this one with an import that if you haven't found it, you should go out of your way to find it. Not that difficult to find, quite frankly. Um, there are several online retailers that do carry this game. It's uh, by Ozaku Brand is the publisher. The author is the awesome Hisashi Hayashi. And that would be the small box roll and write Metro X. Flippin' right, asterisk. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, Flippin' right. 2018, 100% was the year of the roll and right. Uh, Absolutely. That was the dominant theme this year. That was a lot of the big releases, and we saw some great roll and rights this year. It's the year that I really got introduced to roll and rights. And Metro X is one that had dual appeal to me in that I went to Japan in the spring and was very familiar with the Tokyo subway system. I love Roland Rights, and I was able to find copies of this on the shelf at Gen Con without fully knowing what an awesome game it is. And it absolutely is a blast to play every time. It's a super hard puzzle where you're trying to complete the subway lines in Tokyo or Osaka. And I also love it because it makes some of our Rain Man game friends absolutely melt down because they just cannot puzzle it out. I, I love this game, too. Yep. And this is something that... Um, You know, you've got a copy as well, and I think we've converted a few other people to our love of Metro X by Hisashi Hayashi. Jake, what's your number three? My number three might surprise you. My number three game this year is Root. Oh, nice. I've only actually played this game once, but it's a beautiful touchstone for a couple of reasons. I really like war style area control games, which this one is in spades. And I also like Euro style games, which this one is in spades. And I really like games that with asymmetrical powers. I will say I have not dug into this game enough to really see how much I could really like it or dislike it. But from a standpoint of I think it's a beautiful game, I liked it a lot when I played it, and it's been huge on the hotness for this entire year. I think it has to be included. And it's stuck around, too. Right. I really want to dig into this game. I'm really happy we traded for a short period of time. I'm bringing Root down to my family because I think 
um, for Christmas this year. And I think we're going to play it a decent amount. I just I think it's such a cool game. I want to play every faction at least once. I just want to see how this game works. A great shout out too to uh, some of the locals here. Patrick Later from Later Games had a great move with bringing on Cole Worley. Cole is actually the author of this game who had an amazing design. So amazing that I actually named this my number two game of the year. So nice. What a great transition that is. I am more of a mile wide and an inch deep kind of guy when it comes to a lot of gaming experiences. I like a lot of variety. I like trying a lot of new things. I like a lot of new experiences. And anytime there's a game that I look back and instantly say, let's run it back, try that again. I, I got more to explore here. That's automatically a win in my book because there's few games that do that for me. And this is one that at minimum, I'm excited to try every faction. And I'm also interested in looking back now and saying, okay, I tried the Woodland Alliance and I did really terribly at that one. And now I got to try that again, just as the Woodland Alliance, because I I know I can do better next time. Absolutely. Since we kind of did that double up back to back, we'll let that one lie. Uh, Jake's number three, my number two, Root, published by Later Games, uh, designed by Cole Worley. Jake, what's your number two? So my number two, we may have heard of before, is Metro X. <laughs> we are overlapping a lot more than I thought we would here. I promise we've never seen this each other's great. list. I love. Well, I guess Metro that's X. the problem when you only when you only play ten games out of the twenty eighteen releases. Right. And we played most of those together. Odds are we're going to overlap quite a bit. Right. Actually, I think it was more than ten. It might have been twenty, but the issue is I didn't filter through my wish list, so it's just I somehow missed a lot of the games that were released this year. But Metro X is a great game. As Mark said, it's it's a nice little small box game from Japan that you are flipping cards to fill in these stations to finish actual subway stations and the actual routes from either Tokyo or Osaka. And just a quick explanation of what a roll and write or a flip and write game is. Think of Yahtzee. What you're doing in the game is you're going to roll a whole bunch of dice. You have some re-rolls and stuff, and then you're going to indicate on a sheet of paper with a pen and paper. Everybody usually has the, uh, their own sheet of paper indicate some amount of points that they got or something they did or something along those lines. And then you all compare your points at the end of the game. Um, flip and rights do the exact same thing, but instead you flip over a card on your turn. And so Metro X is a flip and right. I love Metro X. Look it up. It's gorgeous. And the challenge with this one is that you're trying to complete routes from the start to the end in the Tokyo subway. Mm-hmm. And if you're the first one to complete a route, you get some bonus points. The challenge is all these routes intersect and overlap. And if you run into another completed route, you have to stop. So that right. you may have something that allows you to make five stations, fill in five stations on that. But if one station in, you run into another line, you have to stop right there. And so it's a really a planning exercise on making sure that you can optimally use these cards to fill in as many dots as you can without running into something else. And it's a real brain burner. All right. My number one, drum I guarantee roll. you could pr- drum roll. <laughs> it, uh, I this think is it pretty might much start the with game. a B. Yeah, there's, I think you got a couple of Bs working there. This nice. is the best game, in my opinion, released in 2018 by any publisher. This is a masterpiece. I think this will be remembered as a masterpiece for years to come and will be played over and over and over again. And I think will inspire additional follow-ons, sequels, take your pick. I'm talking about Brass Birmingham. This game is amazing. Brass Birmingham is a re-implementation, shall we call it, of the original Brass by Martin Wallace, which is now known as Brass Lancashire, published by Roxley Games, uh, actually authored by Gavin Brown, Matt Tolman, and Martin Wallace. The original Brass we played prior to playing Brass Birmingham, and I liked it more than you, but neither one of us were clamoring to play it again. It's very tight. And I do like that sort of thing, but it's really tight. 
Yeah. There's a a lot of hard decisions on that one, and many of them lead you permanently and irrevocably astray. Brass Birmingham iterates on that in a kind of a 1.5 fashion, in much the same way that Gaia Project took an amazing formula out of Terra Mystica, made a 1.5 version of it, and improved it in a zillion little ways and just made it flow. It's a little Euroier. There's a wider variety of strategies. It's not a matter of saying, boy, there's only one thing I can do and it's kind of crappy. Now you literally have too many things to do, all of and which all are kind of good. Right. And and but there's two or three of them that are awesome. And so which of those awesome things should I do? Doesn't overstay its welcome. Actually, not a super long game played with. It's just a card players. game. It's just a card. It's game. Just a card game. You flip through the deck twice and you're done. I would highly recommend searching this out. You're also not going to find a more beautiful game put out this year. The, the, oh, they knocked the it out of the park. Version. God, it's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. So uh, that is my number one pick of 2018, Brass Birmingham. All right. I do want to, I think I might blow your brain a little bit here. What do you think my number one is? I'm going to guess you're doubling up with me on this. Nope. Whoa. My number one game of the oh, year is, goodness. is Keyforge. I, who knew that a smash up follow on would be so popular? That's so funny. It's already smashed up. I will, I, I will say it <laughs> shares some things, but you do not smash them up yourself. It is pre smashed. So we talked at length about <laughs> Keyforge. Um, it's designed by Richard Garfield and I'm sure a whole team of people over at the publisher, Fantasy Flight. But the gist of this game is every deck is unique. You're not going to go and buy a pack of cards like Magic the Gathering. You're going to go buy a full deck and that full deck costs about $10 and you can play it against anyone else's deck. Every deck has three different houses of equal number within the deck. So there's seven houses in total and you're going to get 12 cards of each house randomly from the list of cards from that. It's a two player game and I have just really enjoyed it. It's weird because I think my liking of this game is not super objective. It's pretty subjective because I love these style of games. I love sitting down and playing a head-to-head game with cards against someone. But the issues for these is, one, they've always been so cost prohibitive to me, I've never wanted to do them. So I'm like Magic the Gathering. If I've ever tried to get into that game, I never really would because it's very expensive and it's constantly expensive. And then I tried to get into Android Netrunner, which is a living card game, which is a different distribution model where you know all the cards you're going to get. And whenever you buy a expansion pack, you get three copies, which is the max you can have in your deck for every single card that comes in that expansion pack. But I just couldn't really get into it. And I never really found a decent scene for me. I didn't really look that hard. Um, I'm not super big fan of Star Wars Destiny, all those kind of games. But this one's perfect for me because it's not super expensive and I don't need to build a deck. I've always found it really frustrating to actually construct a deck and really tweak around. I know for a lot of people, that's the reason they like these games. But for me, it just isn't. So the fact that I can buy a deck for $10, sit down with it and just play it over and over and over again and really try to see if there's something there I can learn and see whether or not this machine can work for me, it I, I really like that experience. I will say, compare this to playing like a good deck in Magic. I had some friends that were very into Magic and I play their decks. The machines are not good cars. It's almost like a lemons race of a game because all of them are a little shitty <laughs> and they have random cards that aren't good at certain aspects of the game. But I just I, I love Keyforge. I think it's here to stay for at least for me and my family and my group, because I really like the kind of thing for me. I'm like the perfect target demo for it. So my number one game of 2018 is Keyforge, much to your chagrin, I would imagine. I think you're going to trigger some grognards on that choice. Go right ahead. I love to trigger. I'm just over here trying <laughs> to make people mad. 
Well, um, and folks, folks, if you ever want a podcast where it sounds like we agree on a lot of things, we don't agree on 100 percent of things. God, no, absolutely not. But I do have some <laughs> I, I do have some honorable mentions just because I thought we have to say them because I think they're great games this, that were released this year, but just didn't quite make my list for me. It's the estates. It technically can't be included on this, I don't think, because Neil Hymet, which is the game it is just a read or a reskin of, was released a, a while ago. Then I'll allow it. I do have Brass Birmingham up there as well. And then finally, I have the other two Roland Rights that were released this year that I really, really am fond of, but are not didn't make the list. And that's Welcome To, which is another flip and write where you're writing down numbering houses on a street, you're a building development. And then finally, Railway Inc., which is another great roll and write where you're building little networks of trains. You have any honorable mentions, Mark? You know, I did not actually make lists of honorable mentions. I didn't know that was part of the assignment. So I make it for. <laughs> oh, if you like honorable mentions, I got some more for you later. Oh, goodness. Um, I yeah, I would certainly agree with the, the inclusion of the estates on that one. That's certainly been one of my favorite games of the year, even though it's a re-implementation. There's so much artistic merit around the re-implementation that uh, I'm still going to allow that one. Absolutely. So now moving into the next list, which is the top three games we played this year that were not released in 2018. I suspect our lists are going to diverge much more significantly this time around. I hope so. And so <laughs> I did. Uh, I tried to only include games I played for the first time this year. So this is almost like Jake's new experience and Mark's new experience for 2018 games. Is that kind of how you went with it? Uh, I took a slightly different flip. I, I looked at the games that if I look back at the year had the most impact, the most surprise, the most meaning to me over the course of the year. And that's a lot actually in every single one of those I played for the first time this year. So I think it still fits. But I also overlaid that with the what games did I really have meaning and which games do I really want to play more of going forward? Got it. Interesting. So we're somewhat similar. I think I think both of us will be interesting. So why don't I start it off with my number three game that was new to me this year, which may or may not be new to you this year. Let her rip. It's Glory to Rome. Great choice. By Ed Carter and Carl Chuddick. It's actually Mark's game. And the publisher of this game is Mark. <laughs> um, let's let's not go too deep on, on, on that on that conversation. But the gist of this game is it's a, a game with wacky combos. You're different rich men in Rome that are trying to rebuild it after a sacking. And so you're getting all these different cards and every card has three different aspects to it. it can be a building, it can be a resource, and it can also be a worker. And so you're using these cards and selecting roles to be able to make your best amount of victory points. And it's just a wacky game. The amount of combos you can get in this game is just silly. It's like, okay, I'm going to do this turn, do this turn, do this turn. Okay, I have nine workers now. I'm going to do all these things. And okay, cool. The game ran away. But I just absolutely love this game. It's very much a race to the most broken combo first. So right. it's not that there aren't going to be broken combos. It's who can get them first and exploit them the most. Right. And especially for the way that the game state is, who can break it the most with Glory to Rome. Absolutely a fantastic game. It's a real shame that it's so tough to get a hold of. It was originally published by Cambridge Games Factory. And due to a fairly well publicized feud, and some mistakes made in the publishing aspect of it. Uh, it's just not available anymore, which is a shame because it's such an amazing game. I love all of Carl Chuddick's designs. He's the mad scientist of multi-use cards. And Glory to Rome is no exception. Every card can be used for four different things. And I finally right. just had to resort to printing and playing a copy of it because I couldn't get a copy if I wanted one. Uh, not right. at any reasonable price, at least. I know there's secondhand copies available for several hundred dollars. And... That's a little silly to play for a card game. So I 
bucked up and made one. And I'm certainly glad that I did. Absolutely. Yeah. If you ever are close to this game in proximity of it, try it. It's awesome. It's so good. What was your number three, Mark? And I had to bling it out a little bit by making myself a little 3D printed Caesar statue to pass around as the right. first player marker. You're welcome for the marker. idea. You're welcome for the <laughs> idea. I'll take credit for that. All right. What's your number for three, sure. Mark? Uh, number three fits into my games about cities that I have visited in person around the world collection. Yes, I have one of those. That would be Twa. Twa would be a game that was released a number of years ago was out of print for a significant amount of time and fairly difficult to obtain, and was just republished last year by Pearl Games. Trois by Sebastian Dujardin, Xavier Georges, and Hélène Orban. It is a dice selection, dice drafting kind of game where you use those dice to then perform actions around the board. There's a few pointy elbows in this game because you can directly affect people by pushing pushing them out of locations that they want to be in. You can buy their dice out from underneath them, thus changing their plans and collectively trying to meet uh, some unknown victory conditions, which is my uh, biggest, uh, my biggest thing I dislike about this game. But it's a good game. Yep. There's there's only six of them and they're pretty easy to grok what they actually are. That's, you know, who has the most money, who has the most people out on the buildings, who has fought off the most invaders. It's a pretty easy one to understand. But What's super unique about this game is that there's a pool of dice out there. Everybody has their dice that they roll and they get to roll more dice if you have more people in buildings. And then you can buy additional dice from other people if you don't have the dice that you need. Now, here's the challenge. The challenge is, is the amount that you pay for those varies on how many of the dice you're going to use. So if you're only going to take a one dice action, pretty cheap. You're going to take a three dice action. You're going to pay not one per dice or two per dice. You're going to pay six per dice times as many dice as you buy from them. So that can be an amazingly expensive thing to do if you're trying to gank everybody's dice out from underneath them and use them for a super powerful action. Very unique game. Played it several times earlier in the game, earlier in the year, and it's due to come out again. That's uh, Twa from Pearl Games. Absolutely. I liked it a lot. I, I, I still like the game. It's just there's one stickling point for me, which is the hidden scoring, because every single time I've played it, I've been off by one thing to get up to the next scoring threshold you know i think it's and you say it's easy to grok but maybe it is easy to grok but it just doesn't sit well with my brain at that point in time like if i'm playing a euro game i don't want to have to figure out what you're doing maybe that's it but i would actually be 100 percent okay with making a little cheat sheet just showing you know these are the six possible dudes and here's what the scoring levels are on there so that right, at least so you're, not you're getting to, to that on everything right if you're even a little bit there do it big Right. Yeah. So that at least, you know, that you're like, OK, he's got a huge pile of money out there. Obviously, he's got the one that that is based on money and the the, the cutoff is at 12. So I'll try to get 12. Right. I think but, that would I think that would clear that up for you. Right. But at the same point, money is also this is we're going too deep on this, but I agree. I'll I'll try it again and try to keep an open eye, mind on it. It was a it's, it's a good game. I like what it's doing a lot. It's just it rubs me the wrong way in that aspect. Sure. Number two. All right. For me, number two for me is actually the only game on this list I own. And this is Antiquity by Splatterspellen, um, designed by Joris Drumen and or Joris Wersinga, pardon me, and Jorin Drumen. I'm sorry, I can't speak Dutch very well. Um, Splatter <laughs> is a very small... probably pretty close. Thank you. Um, Splatter is a very small publisher based in the Netherlands, I believe, that does very niche rules, kind of light, really strategy-heavy games. 
they're still really heavy games. It's just the rules are comparatively light if you compare it to a Lacerda or other really complicated heroes. So in antiquity, you are competing cities in antiquity, trying to take control of a hex grid. And it's actually, I think, one of the first polynomial style laying cards, um, build those weird different Tetris shape things into a grid to do certain things. So you have all these grids out and they represent your cities and you can put different buildings in them that are the different polynomials and those gain you different abilities. And so it's it's a really good splatter game where it's really competitive and really interesting to see your different choices and it's a huge decision space but i really liked it what what were your thoughts on it mark i think this may not be the last time we talk about that this podcast good that's good i'm happy to hear that i hopefully we're not doing a games we hate section so i think you might like it but the, (laughs) the gist of it is is you're just you're you're building a city it's it's neat and you're taking over these different things giving different resources and you're polluting the world it's a little too much to talk about in this quick little segment but it's called antiquity by splatter games i really suggest you give it a try if you like euro style games it's a little hard to play with larger player counts it gets a little long but for a two-player game it's awesome i i i can't speak high enough of these praises of this game yep fantastic mark what was your number two my number two we've also talked to death already glory to rome love glory to rome i managed to get in a comparatively large number of plays for somebody that tends to play a lot of different games only a couple times Uh, glory to rome has come out a lot of times for a variety of reasons it's a somewhat quick teach it's universally liked and doesn't take a huge amount of time to play and it plays a larger player count so It's easy to get out and play in a wide variety of circumstances. I just love this game. I really sincerely hope that there's a way found in the future to make this a mass market publication because the print and play angle isn't for everybody. And it's a game that more people should enjoy. It's gorgeous. Love this game. So my number one game that I played this year is another game I don't own, but it is on my wish list. It is Gaia Project. So Gaia Project is published by Z-Man Games, and it was designed by Jens Drogemuller and Helge Ostertag. And so this is, a, we talked briefly about it earlier, or Mark did. It's a re-implementation of the Terra Mystica system. So in this game, you are different races of aliens taking over this new region of planets, this system. And so the gist of it is it's a big hex board with a bunch of different hexes, and you're terraforming these different planet types to make it so your people can live there and place down your own buildings. It's a super classic Euro style design about moving different resources and building buildings with your resources and trading and getting all these opportunities. And there's six different technology trees you can move up that get you different special abilities, but it's a pretty meaty game and it's pretty asymmetric. There's some asymmetricality to it where everyone has different player powers and some of the boards are very different, but there is, I think, eight or six different colors of races. I think it's six, six different races and each board is double sided in the game. So you at least have 12 plays if you want to just play every faction once. But I literally think I could play this game every single week and not bore of it. I just I I love it. There's a reason it's in the top 20 board game geek across the board easily. It's very well polished. I mean, they've taken a game that has many years of development and play testing behind it and made a few small improvements to smooth out a couple of those rough edges. They've made it a universally likable theme. And there's really nothing not to like about Gaia Project. I'd say sort of my only reticence with not putting it on this list is I've really only played it once. And I have mentioned before that the rule set for that game does not stick in my brain very well for some reason. 
And so I really need a couple more playthroughs of it to really lock that one in. Right. I, I, and the uh, production quality of this game is second to none. I think it's just full of beautiful little Ooh, small. So I disagree with you classic. on that one. Oh, really? Interesting. I just I do not think the production quality is that great on this game. Maybe. No, oh, let me rephrase that. I do not think it's that great for a game that is close to one hundred dollars. Interesting. I think it I think it completely fits that bill. It has six or seven different colors of races that are each their own different plastic sculpts. They're not big minis. They're really small. They're just little buildings. All of the goods, I think, are very well done. I think the cardboard's pretty. I I like that it's it's plastic, but in a Euro design ethos way where it's not ostentatious. They don't have these crazy sculpts and everything's huge and detracting from your view of the game. But instead of wooden hexagons for a victory point counter, they're plastic. So I, I really like it. I think it fits the bill real well. It's on my wish list pretty high, even though Kirk owns a copy and I've played it a lot. I'd love I think I could play this game every week and be happy as a clam for a long time. Yeah, and I'm not I don't think it's badly designed. I think it's fine. I don't think it's hundred dollars fine. I do think the play is worth that. The level of right. play that you get and the amount of play you can get out of it is absolutely worth the cost. I don't think there's a bad value, but I think there are a lot of games out there at that price point which are produced an awful lot better than that one. Right. Maybe we've just been playing too many 18xx games and buying too many of those. <laughs> I just think, <laughs> well, that, any, that's for any sure. Decent I, mass market game is just lovely. Yeah, for sure. Compared so to the price of an 18xx game. Right. Speaking of which. <laughs> oh, you're number one. Go for it. Sure. My number one is actually a game that delivers more gameplay and significantly less production quality for <laughs> uh, significantly more money. Now, having said that. As 18xx games go, it's actually very nice production quality. Everything from all aboard games looks looks great. I love the design style. But, you know, when you compare it to a mass market full-time graphic designer and probably five digits of art budget, tough to compete on that one. Anyway, right. uh, which title could it be? That one is going for 1849, The Game of Sicilian Railways. Why did I pick 1849 as my top game of 2018? Something that's been out for 20 years and even among 18xx people gets a side eye sometimes. I feel that it tells a story. There is a narrative that happens in that game that delivers an amazing gaming experience every time you play it. The money is tight, the terrain is difficult, there's a big volcano that blows up half the world. Some of the companies stink. You can absolutely kick yourself out of the game pretty easy. So every decision has immense consequences and you have to live with those consequences for the rest of the game. So it is the 18xx that to me delivered the most tension and made me feel the most alive while playing those games over the course of the year. And I also played that title the most times of any 18xx game. So that's why it was the most meaningful number one game of 2018 for me. I love this game. It's fun. I really want to play it again. I think I've only played it once or no, I think we played it twice, but I, I yeah. completely agree with everything you say about it. I like the hex system. I really like the narrow gauge. It's one of my favorite 18xx games. And just a quick side note, 18xx games are financial based train games based on Francis Tresham's 1829. They're commonly named 18 with two numbers at the end. So people usually refer to them as 18xx games, but Common things, you're laying down hex routes, like little cities and little things to do connect different values, and you're running trains to get a certain amount of value that is then paid out to sh shareholders portionally to however much shares they own. So, And at the end of the day, you're just trying to grow your portfolio and make more money. Yeah, just make more money. Come on, just do it. That's all it is. So my other favorite part about this game is mini 18xx games can take the entire day. I, I'd have thought seriously about 
putting 1822 on this list, 1849 only takes about three hours all up. And that's beautiful where you can play that as part of another night of gaming. Absolutely. Or do you mind if I do my quick honorable mentions? I'm sorry, Mark. I only have two this time. First one being Dragon Castle. It is a Mahjong kind of game that is similar to Azul, where you're going to draft some tiles and you place them on your own personal board to get yourself some points. But it's a beautiful production. It's really, really pretty. I cannot understate how beautiful this game is. And I really like the gameplay. It's kind of my version of Azul, which is another abstract-ish tile laying game. But I, I really like it. And then the other one is Mombasa, which is an Alexander Pfister design. That's a Euro game about colonizing Africa, which is not the most pleasant theme, but it's it's an interesting game where you have different ownership in certain companies and it's has all these very interesting mechanisms. I'm sure we can deep dive into it at some point in time in the future. Excellent choices. I would certainly put 1822 as an honorable mention on that yeah. one. That is such an amazingly good 18xx game. Right. Oh, darn it. I said every game wasn't going to be amazing. Well, every game is not, but that one is. So we never said fantastic. We never said fantastic. We're good. <laughs> That's true. We're okay with amazing. We probably do say that one too much, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, this so is the game we like. On my... <laughs> of course, yep, they're going to be sure. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So that is our top gaming experiences of 2018 with no specific year put on top of them. It's just if you look across our collections, what are the games we played this year that we absolutely love? So wrapping up 2018, I'm taking a look right now. We both track our stats of the games that we play on our board gaming Fitbit, also known as BG Stats. For those of you that don't know what it is, it's an iPhone app. I think it's available on Android, but don't don't hold me to that. It's an iPhone app that allows you to track what games you played with who and where at. And also lets you track things like gaming challenges and scores so that you can look back and somebody says, hey, what's a winning score in this game? You can say, well, funny you should say that. Uh, It appears you need the average winning score is about 122. So I signed up for a 100 by one challenge and a 50 by two challenge. What's that? Well, it started out with people taking 10 by 10 challenges where they'd play 10 games 10 times. I don't roll that way. I would rather play a lot of games less times. So I said that I'm going to play 100 different games once and 50 games at least twice. I actually had both of those checked off back in like August. Right. So that was pretty easy one. So insight wise, as of uh, the record date, which is the 20th of December, I am actually at 132 games one time. And of those, I've played 63 games at least twice. So pat myself on the back for goals. Well done. Uh, Jake, how'd you do this year? I've done really well. So I did the same goals as you. I did a couple extra, though. So I did 100 plays, 100 games one time. And I finished that about in August, same time as you. I also did 10 games 10 times, which I'm sure four plays on. I think I've actually gotten there, but I don't always record my plays of Insider well, which is a small mm-hmm. box secret betrayer kind of thing game. And I never record my plays of that, but I'm going to bring that to Christmas and we're easily going to play it four times. I also need to play Link, which is a two player abstract game one time. Um, I also did my 50 by two, finished that. And I also did my 365 plays. So I played game a game more often than there were days in the year. So. I thought that'd be neat. So correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't Link on your trade list or sale list? <laughs> it is. That's why I got to try. That's why I have to play it one more. <laughs> I played it 10 so times. Th- I'm just done. 
Yeah, this is exactly why I don't want anything to do with a 10 by 10, because I guarantee by the end of that, the last couple of times I'd be like, I want to get rid of this game. I don't want to play it two more times. Right. Well, and, and Link is it's a conversation for another day about Link specifically, but Link is a two player, uh, not asymmetrical, it's abstract game that kind of feels like checkers. The issue with this style of game is I have a game called Tack, which is designed. I don't know who it's designed by, but it's in the world of uh, Patrick Rothfuss's Name of the Wind book series. And Mm -hmm. it's great. It feels it's like the perfect game for me in this style of game of two players, checker, chess style derivative games. And so whenever I play this other one, I just would rather play tack. So why do I have any of these other games? So I've actually purged a lot of those style of games from my collection recently because I know which one I like. So I need to play that once. But in, in regards to insights this year, I have 377 plays. So I played much more than 365 as of the same date as Mark. I'm going to play a whole bunch of games over Christmas, so I'm going to get more. I have played 139 games, which I think is a few more than you, Mark. Or are you at 132? Same, yeah, same ballpark, Bill. Absolutely. And I have played, I believe I've played eight games 10 times so far, and I have played 12 games at least five times. And then there's a whole bunch of games I've played four, three, two, one. Question for you. I want to hear what your most played game is and what's your most played big game. All right. I will. It takes a while. It gets a while before it gets down to actually a big game. Nine tiles is my most played game with 22 plays. Then Keyforge, King Domino, Metro X, all small box games, startups. Then we have the Climbers and Dragon Castles. And I'd consider those both big box games, but not actually hard to play games. When you go down to the first meaty, full, midweight or higher game, Imperialist Settlers, which I've played six times. Hmm. Yeah. What about you? My number one played game of the year was Metro X. That's, you know, a shorter game. It makes sense that that is something that's going to dominate the top of the list. How many times have you played that one? Eleven. Okay. Which is not a huge amount. But again, that's sort of my play style is I like a lot of variety. Azul, I played eight times. I played Twins, the Oink Box, seven times. Uh, La Granja No Siesta, seven times. Now, at number five, though, first big game, Twa, I played six times. Which, oh, did you play it with your family a couple pretty, of times? I think I only have two or three plays marked of that game. Like I said, I like that game a lot. And I introduced it to a lot of different people in the wow. last year. Makes sense. Yeah. And Glory to Rome at six. And then even at number seven, Yokohama. Right. So the fact I got five plays of Yokohama in this year was a pretty good year. So I thought I should at least also, because Board Game Stats is, Stats is the best app ever, we should at least talk about how good we are at games, which... Mark has played with me ah. 115 <laughs> times. You've played this is going. You've played 76 different games. And I believe you've won 31 of those if I'm reading the stats app right. So you've won 26% of the time. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah, if I were looking at uh, all the plays I have logged, my overall win percentage is 34%. So I'll take that. Being that, you know, the average players are somewhere around one in three or one in four. I've got my share. Not bad at all. I had an exceptionally good year this year. I don't know why, but I won 48% of the games I played, which is weird. So weirdly, you do worse when I'm in the game with you. (laughs) You've only won 38% of the games that I've played with you. Oh, interesting. So do you not record? Oh, okay. Got it. Yes, that, that makes sense because you only record games you've played, not all plays. Yes. Correct. Like okay. I don't have all your Keyforge games logged in there. Oh, that that brings my 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 strategy my my winner percent down a lot. I lose a lot in that game. I think I've won like three times in total. So, anywho, looking forward on that. Um, that's that's how the year wrapped up last year. We actually have been chatting quite a bit about 
what do we want to see out of our gaming next year? And I know we're probably overthinking it by even bringing this up because at the end of the day, we want to play what we want to play. But what would you say that we our focus for 2019 would be, Jake? So mine is a little different than yours. I do want to play a lot more games that we already own, which is what we agree on. I also want to get down to a zero shelf of shame. So my shelf of shame, as we talked on in, I think, the last episode, is just any game that I own that I haven't played. It doesn't have to be my copy or anything along those lines, but I just want to at least experience all of the games that I own to determine whether or not it should stay on my shelf. I'm trade a decent amount. I'm not a super prolific trader or anything, but I just really want to get down to a off shelf of shame life. And I'm currently at, I think, 15 games on my shelf of shame. And I think it's going to get a little bigger after Christmas. And then my birthday is in February. Ugh. What about you, Mark? My game, my goal for 2019 is to get to know some of the games I have a little bit better. That's not saying I'm not going to get new games or slow my roll or do anything like that. But it does mean that I am going to put more weight on my favorite games and playing my favorite games more often. So I guess that would be more like a 20 by five mentality, I suppose. But right. It's going to be a bit of just sitting down and saying, what games do I really want to play rather than saying, well, you know, geez, I, there's this variety of games I haven't played in a long time. So oh, let's bring that one back. Out right. Again. Oh, it's that's going a to good be game. Focusing on the, yeah, it's the games I really, really want to play. I'm going to dive in a little bit deeper on and explore strategy a little bit more on. And there's a reason they're my favorite games. So why would I not want to play them more? As right. far as Shelf of Shame goes, mine's probably about the same. But my average weight in my Shelf of Shame, both in physical poundage as well as difficulty level, is significantly higher than yours. And so I realize that there's a number of those games that are not going to be easy to get out and play. And I'm sort of okay with them being that, that maybe they only get played once a year. Maybe it takes a year or two to get them out. Uh, once again, we're looking at you, High Frontier 3rd Edition. <laughs> and, you know, the, I've had that for a year now, and it hasn't gotten played. That doesn't mean I don't want to play it very badly. It just means that I know that that's not something I can just drag out on a random night and go, hey, let's do this. Right. Yeah, I just want to be better about, I bought these games for a reason, and I at least want to see if I like them or not. And I have actually started to trade some games off my shelf of shame that I haven't played yet and or at least have only played solo just to learn the rules. And it's it's not the best feeling because maybe it's someone's favorite games and some of these games are harder to get. And just seeing whether or not it's something if I can understand the game, I can at least make a better decision on whether or not it should be on my in my inclusion. But I agree with you. We have games that are our favorite top 10, top 20 games. Why don't we pull from that number more often than we pull from our, oh, we haven't played this game in a while. It's a good six, you know. With that in mind, we both took a look at each other's collections and without comparing notes and without cross-referencing each other's and without taking any games that we both own, because presumably, of course, we'd want to play those. Yeah. We made a list of five games from each other's collection that we want to play more often. Yeah, because this kind of goes into it. We don't always know what everyone else has in our board game group collection, and we always play at a third party. We rarely play at each other's houses. So we don't always get a look at the big picture of everyone's collection and be like, oh, my God, do you have this? Let's play it. I dug deep into your board game geek username and I found, I think, a good list of five games that I'd love to play more often. And this this is also kind of the uh, the feel good portion of it where you're like, oh, I'm so happy you love that game. Yeah, I'd love to play that with you. Right. And yes. Hopefully not too many of the. Ooh, really? Are you sure? I just game. I don't really want to play that one. I just traded that one. Are you sure? <laughs> All right. So why don't you kick us off, Mark? OK, I'm dying to know after the fact on how how predictable this list was. So we'll see. 
my number five coming out of your collection. And again, we're going to throw this one back and forth again. My number five is one of yours that I have only played once. I'd say it's probably the lightest of the selections on this list. It's been over a year and I quite enjoyed the one time I played this and I have not seen this since then. So therefore, it is an automatic inclusion on the game's I would like to see off your list again. This is the cool mini or not released by Flaminia Brazzini, Virginio Gigli, and Simone Luciana. That would be Lorenzo Il Magnifico coming in at number five for me. Yeah, this is a game I think got rooted for you. I've played it, I think, four or five times. Um, but when we it's say always- rooted, that means that <laughs> it sort of passes you over because Jake was very concerned that I would be sick of root before he got a chance to play it. And fortunately, that didn't happen. Right. Because I think I've played it four or five times, but it's always been adjacent to you. You were running a different table or something along those lines. But it's it's a great game. So in this game, it's a dice worker placement game. But all of your the dice are predetermined. Everyone adheres to the same dice roll. It's really nice. I'll have to bring that one out more. What did you what, what, what did you particularly like about it? I just enjoyed it. It felt really smooth. Uh, rules were easy to pick up. It had a nice play length on it. And I think it's one that just has mass appeal for a variety of people and would fit well with our game group on a variety of nights. So, you know, I, like I said, I only played it one time a year ago, so I barely remember it. I just know that I really enjoyed it. I just added the expansion to it to my wish list and I put it at a number one. So hopefully I'll get it sometime. But yeah, it's you're you're right. It's it's a game I never grab and I don't know why cuz it's good. It's easy to explain. It doesn't scale player-wise that well. If you played it two player it loses a big aspect of the game, but it's a fun one. I'll have to, I'll have to bring it out more. Sounds great. All right, what's your number 5? My number 5 is one we've already talked about in this game, but it's a big beast of a game. The longest 18xx game I've ever played, but I need to play it again in person <laughs> next week or next year. 1822 by Simon Simon Cutforth, published by All Aboard Games. We played this game one Wednesday at our game store, and we all showed up early. It was this big planned thing, and it was so fun. We started at, I think, like we actually started playing at five, and we finished up right when the store closed at midnight. Did you even have time to pick it up, or did you scoop everything into the box? We did actually pick it up, but we did kind of yada, yada, yada through the last OR. We did did just math out the last OR. Right. I don't know that we completely finished it out. We've also played a game of this online, which took five months. I think it was longer than that. I think we started in May and we finished (laughs) up in September. Maybe it was longer. So this one is so unique in the 18xx world. Having said that, I'm sure everybody that's played every single title will go, no, it's not. No, there's this, this, Uh, and this. It's interesting. And let me say interesting rather than unique. It's interesting in that it's a game all about synergies. It's about putting together synergistic collection of privates and miners and miners with miners get taken over by majors and trying to create the longest run and the most value out of doing that. And the way that you get these things is everything goes up for auction and you keep going around and around and around to try to set the value on that thing and auction it off so that you can get it. There's no just go buy this from the bank. Nope, everything's got to be auctioned, and it's a big, grand game, huge map, uh, lots of privates, lots of miners, lots of publics, but boy, you really feel like you've been on a journey by the time you're done right. with that one. Right, and the, the the map is so big, and they actually made special smaller tokens that are smaller than in any of the other 18xx game tokens you're used to, so it's 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 there's a lot out there, but what's also cool about this game is it's not an auction where you okay, okay, we're auctioning this thing. Mark, what do you want to spend on it? You don't do that. What it actually is, it's like a silent auction that you do at like elementary school when you're trying to fundraise. 
Yeah, that's very that's a that's an excellent comparison. And so you sometimes you'll be bidding on something, it'll go beyond your threshold, but now you know you're not tied into that auction. So now you can go bid on this other thing that you actually do want and push it up. It's it's a great game. It's based in all of Britain, I believe. Um, it goes all the way yep. up into some parts of Scotland. I don't think it goes that far, but for the most part, it's most of that island. The offboard location in the north is just referred to as the Highlands. The Highlands, yeah. So it's it's a great game. I absolutely want to play it again. Um, I think I'm always going to veto it if we ever try to play it online because the way that you play online is everyone has a Slack channel and you all have to say your turn in the Slack channel. So if one person on your turn, you just make one silent bid and then you wait until it goes all the way back <laughs> around. Ugh. I kid you not. Getting our opening positions in stock round one playing online took six weeks. Right. And you're just like of oh. people moving fairly regularly. Right. It's just there's a lot of moving parts that you're in person would take six or seven minutes. We'd love to yep. play that one again. Great choice. What was your number four, Mark? Number four. I'm going to make you feel really good on this one. Oh, good. By signing up for this one, I realize that I'm also signing up for an ungodly beating because oh, I know you're good at this is. game and I'm not. And it's there's a steep climb to get on that one. But it's a game that I feel that I want to get better at. And want to learn from getting beaten, which sometimes that's the only way to do it. This game would be number 28 on Board Game Geek. It is by Splatter Spielen. And Jeroen Duman, Joris Wersinga, it is Boot Chain Magnet. God, and I, like I will figure out why pizza and soda pop and french fries are important somewhere down the road. Right. Well, french fries are important. They're just not important in this game. There is no french fries. Isn't that weird? You'd think there'd be that. They chose pizza and three different pizza burgers and three different types of beverages. Yeah, I've played this exactly once and enjoyed it. And I got thrashed as every first time player does, but uh, super compelling. It's very popular. I just need to explore it a lot more. And I think now that there is an expansion coming out for it in 2019, that is a perfect time to dive in and uh, reacquaint ourselves with Food Chain Magnet. Absolutely. So Food Chain Magnet has a really special part for me. It's like a special space in my heart because it's the first game that I bought that I consider a really heavy game. And it was wrecking me on Reddit, I believe. And I just I just absolutely love it. So in this game, you're just different food chain magnets making different fast food places and selling to people and marketing. You do every single aspect of business that make people want hamburgers in this. You market to them, you build their houses, you can do everything. But the game is really mean. And there's a couple of openings. And this is actually kind of a case study on why I don't read strategy guides very much anymore. I played it three or four, maybe five times um, before I started reading a, a little more in depth about good openings. And I really kind of wish I never read that because there's obviously just better openings than other people, especially in certain player counts, depending on your positioning. And it kind of removed a little bit of the exploration from the game for me. That being said, it's an awesome game. I love it. I need to bring it more. It's just a little mean and people can just absolutely run away with it. Food chain magnet. It's awesome. I, I will be reading up a strategy guide before we play. Just putting that's that notice because well, it's funny is you probably will be. <laughs> I do need some training wheels. You'll probably will beat me because I won't try to like win. I'll try to do something silly that I don't do, like the waitress strat or something, and it it'll it'll just result in you just running away with it. But yeah, let's play that. Let's let's <laughs> let's get another three or four player game of it. It's very much like the other splatter games where it's somewhat rules light. There's it's still a heavy game, but the strategy and amount of interaction it is incredible. Sounds great. How about your number four? So my number four is, I think, one of your favorite games, but I have played it, I think, a grand total of one time. This is your ship of Thebes. Is that is, is wh whatever the ship oh. is that <laughs> left that left the port and got refixed and changed. Every part of it was changed. And by the time it comes back, is it the same ship? 
I'm speaking of Mark's copy of Orleon. <laughs> Great. So choice. Orleon is a game by Reiner Stockhausen and TMG slash DLP Games. It's one of the first bag builders, which is where you have all your little workers and you're sticking them in a bag and you grab them out and you can do certain things with them. I think I've only played this game once, but it was really cool. It was a great Euro style game. I really liked it. And it's kind of been rooted where I'm playing another game and it's right next to me. And I'm be like, oh, I guess I'm not going to play that one because I'm going to play this instead. I, I'm shocked you've only played that once. I think. Let me check. I, I, I want to. It's once or twice. I know I haven't played it more than oh, that. I'm, I'm sure that's true because. Um, I do tend to bring it out a lot because it is one of my absolute favorite games over time. And that's one of my anytime, anyplace, anywhere. And to Jake's reference, there's very little of the original game left on that. It's the original board and the original play mats. And that's about it. I've got the upgraded board game geek plastic worker chips to pull out. I got uh, from spielmaterials.de. I got the wood meeple resources for it. At the metal coins for it. I got the five player expansion. It barely fits in the box anymore. I 3D printed an insert to make it fit a little better. But it still doesn't fit well. It still does not fit well. <laughs> you have every you have every single promo too. Yep, 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 yep. It requires a bag band to make it not explode. Right. So I did get some information on how many times I've played this game. I did not play it this year. I only started recording every game that I played this year in 2018. The year before that, I'd only record my games. So I think I've only played it once and that was in 2017. So it has been a while, but I've always been adjacent to it. It's a really cool game and it's fast too. It doesn't take nope. too long yeah, for sure. Hour and, and a it's half. not that complicated. I would love it to be added to the midweight Euro rotation and kind of going in line with our let's play our really liked games a lot. I think this one will make it to the table more often. I, so. I kind of quit bringing it. The last thing I'll say about this is I sort of stopped bringing it because I started getting crap for bringing it every week. <laughs> so I just stopped bringing That's it. funny. Well, I I don't I hope it wasn't by me. I'd try to not give you crap oh, for it. I, I didn't I take it as real crap, but just that like, oh, hey, Mark Rupp, Orleans again. Cool. Let's play it. Yeah, it's just funny. I've uh, yeah. How many times have you played it this year? A couple, right? At least I have played it less this year. And it's amazing. Than that last year, last year, I last year, I think it was my most played game. Um, if I was looking at that, uh, it has been played. Uh, I'll pull this one up much less. I've only played it three times this year. But none of those times have been with me. Nope. <laughs> but yeah, I'd, I'd love to play that one again. Um, that's Orleans by TMG Games and by Reiner Stockhausen. Great choice. Uh, my number three is I'm going to continue pointing my uh, gaming radar at the Netherlands. And Oh my God. Are you choosing all my splatters? <laughs> I don't know about all of them, but I can't pick all of them because I own one of them. So by definition, I can't pull all of them. So this is the 195th greatest game, according to Board Game Geek, by Splatter Spielen. Uh, also by the Splatter Spielen crew of Your Own Doomen and Joris Versinga. I just played this for the first time about a month ago, and I spent the next three days thinking about what I did wrong and how I could do better. And that, to me, is the number one teller that it's a game that I want to play more. And that would be Antiquity. Also, God, I love antiquity. Jake's Ship of Thebes. Yeah. So mine's not as Ship of Thebesy as yours is. So I did at Board Game Geek, they had a, 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 at Gen Con this year, they had a new product they released called these upgraded tokens. And so they had these for Orleans. They also had these for antiquity. And what it does is it replaces the small cardboard chits in the base game with these gorgeous screen printed little plastic, almost tick like those little candy looking guys. Yeah, Tic Tacs. And it is beautiful. They're not Tic Tacs. They're like those little ticklets. Ticklets. Sure. Chicklets. Chicklets. Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm not good at knowing my candy types. Especially <laughs> <laughs> old school candy. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This is something that I, I did spend a pretty good chunk of the experience just trying to figure out what on earth I was doing and trying to figure out 
why I wanted to do something and how everything moved through there. But by the end of the game, I had it pretty well grokked and was able to look back at it and go, oh, I really should have done that. And I should have focused on that. Now we got to play it before I forget those lessons that I learned last time we played it. <laughs> and I'd also right. like to try it more than two player. We only played two players, so it was a small map. And so, so that's that's kind of my caveat. I don't know if I want to play it at four. It's a very great game for a certain type of experience. That's where it's two players that want to play a heavier experience for like two to three hours. Sure. If you add another player to that, it can get really long. I would happily play it at three. Four is like, are you guys sure? Because <laughs> there's probably other games that are a little bit better. The gist of it, there's just a lot of moving parts in this game. I mean that by the aspect of there's a lot of bits moving around. But there's also just like a lot of decision making. And so by having all this large board, there's certain aspects of it that are asynchronous or yeah, asynchronous, but it just gets a little, it drags a little bit. I did play it with three one time and I was like, okay, I can definitely, if this graph plots again, I don't ever want to play at four. Right. So, right. Yeah, I can see that if you're getting to a point where you're in the four or five hour range with people that want to play heavier games, there's probably better choices that can be made. But but for like a sieve polynomial style game i really need to get kirk to play this game it has the same kind of polynomial stratus of it status of it and it's i think he'd like it a lot great that's antiquity by splatter spell and my number three game of jake's that i want to play most in 2019 got it so my number three i don't think you would have known this one would be on your list it is a game that i've only played once and it's a game that a lot of people wouldn't think is up my wheelhouse but i played it for the first time at our buddy con up at my cabin this fall called Clopcon. It's Gloomhaven by Isaac Childress and Seth Lofair. So there is three people that I'm very close with in the game group that own this game. You, Stephen, and my Uncle Kirk. And I have never been involved in a campaign of this game. <laughs> and I would love to so bad. That's the whole thing. I played it and I really loved playing it at Clopcon. But it almost, I had kind of this kind of dour look on my face. I'm like, God damn it. If I would have just kept on being bliss, ignorant, on this game, I wouldn't have known that I really would have liked it. And I really want to get involved in a campaign of it. It's gotten to the point where I'm debating on putting it on my wish list and seeing if anybody's kind of done with the campaign at some point in time would give me a used copy because I just I don't know when I'm ever going to play this game. So I, I can 100 percent get you involved in in our campaign. I think the odds, you know, the nice part about Gloomhaven is it is somewhat flexible and somewhat standalone adventure to adventure so that if you can't get your normal campaign people together, that you can generally you can speaking, people in. get have somebody stand in on that one and we have not right. gotten very deep into it we we played up through spring and then it just fell off the table until we pulled it out at clopcon so uh, it's high on my list of stuff i would like to dig in deeper right. you know there's not a ton of things that can be said about gloomhaven that haven't already been said it's a absolutely massive campaign style game that's number one on board game geek it's physically large as well as physically long i think there's you know 90 some adventures that you can go that that you can go on right. if you want to play the it's whole the classic thing D style adventurer group thing but it has an interesting mechanism where those diff two different cards determine your actions the thing it does uniquely is it also puts a really stressful clock on the game that as you use up your cards you don't get anymore and you don't get to recover those things and when you're out of cards you're done so you have that's it you have to very stingily use your cards along the road to make sure that you use everything up by the time that you have completed the mission and kind of not a moment sooner right 
But I, I, I love Gloomhaven. Get me involved. I'd love to play. Anybody that's listening to this podcast that also has a copy, get me involved, please. I'd love to play. <laughs> I would play that every Wednesday for like a month just because I think it's neat. Interesting. I would just love to learn how that game takes. You know, and I think I think Kirk so, would do that, too. So that's probably something no time. we could do if we could actually get people to commit to it. And that's always the challenge with me with with campaign games is we got to commit to committing to it. Yeah, <laughs> right. OK, that was Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven by Self-Affair Games and Isaac Childress is the designer of it. What's your number two? My Mark? number two off your list is I don't know that this is one you would pull out either as one that I would pick. It's actually a game I've never played. Oh, we did that. I didn't include any of those. Yeah, Go. it's a game that I really, really want to play. And I've never physically seen a copy of it come out. Oh, I know. Um, actually, I did see a copy of it last night. Uh, it is number okay. 19 on Board Game Geek. <laughs> so it's an extremely well thought of game. I have never in my life played Viticulture. Really? Wow. <laughs> no, I know. That's funny. And that's a game that is universally loved. And I know I'd like it. And everybody else in our group really likes it. So let's play that more. I love that game. So in Viticulture, you're raising wine. You're making wine. So you're planting grapes. You're fermenting these grapes and selling them to different aspects. And it's a worker placement game that is different seasons. That's kind of the cool things. You know, there's like a spring, summer, fall, winter. Some more, some less, depending on whether what expansion you're using. But it's a it's a good game. I'm a flabbergasted you've never played it. No, I know. I think that's been rooted for me. Right. It's definitely that's we shouldn't even call it root. We should call it viticultured <laughs> because it's way worse. So actually, the roots. Because I think it, I've played this game a few times this year. So too. Power Grid it is actually the origin of that one because Power Grid is a game that oh. got completely passed over on for a very long time. I've played Power Grid a number of times since then, but for a long time, I couldn't get anybody to play it with me and I'd never played it because everybody had played it out. So actually, you are kind of right. I've only played Viticulture one time this year. I played it in January, too. Yeah. So it's been a while since it's been kicking around, but I, I played this game 13 times. So I've played it a few times before that. And that was before I started locking games. I own Viticulture, <laughs> but it's it's great. I'll, I'll I'll make a I'll make a note of bringing that. It's such a great midweight ish and it scales really well from all the way from two players all, to, all the way up to six players. Sure. There's a little bit of randomness in the card draws. That's kind of a fair complaint of it. And certain times you'll just get it. I've heard people actually make a market and turn one card face up and that's what you can get instead of it's an open draw. But yeah, I'd love to I'd love to play with you again I'll, or for the first time. Well, and also, I know this is a game get that, out. that was played a number of times by uh, J Mac and Ginger. And for whatever reason, I was playing something else at the time. Right. Yeah, it's just it's a great game. I love it. And the art's gorgeous. It's the only one of the uh, original Stonemeyer Games games that I still own. I did own Scythe at one point in time, but got rid of that one. Yeah, it's, I don't know what else you could say about Vico. I'm just amazed you've never played it. I know. Such a good game. Surprises across the board. And it's pimped out, too. I have like the expansion to it, which makes it so much better. You're going to have fun. We'll play it. Sounds great. Number two, Viticulture by Stonemeyer Games. All right. My number two, we've already kind of talked about it, and I think you probably saw this one coming because of how excited I've been about it. Um, Root by Leader Games and designed by Cole Worley. We already spoke at pretty much out nauseam about this game, but just bring it more. I love it. Well, now I have to bring it more because I'm actually borrowing it from you. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. You know, the, I think one of the challenges with getting root out is the four player limitation. Often we have five players show up at our game night. Correct. That makes it that makes it challenging. So the four player limitation does sometimes make it tough for this game to come out and play. I also would like to explore the factions more and explore the play style a little bit more and get more plays under my belt. So uh, that's a no brainer in my book. I will definitely bring root more often. All right. My number two from Mark's collection is root 
by Leader Games, designed by Cole Worley. What's your number one? My number one. The number one. My number one, probably the most controversial theme of this entire collection. Oh, I know. It's a game that I briefly owned. Briefly. You did. I briefly owned. What did I trade you for? it? Oh, you traded me. Well, Millennium Blades, which. Oh, Millennium Blades. <laughs> which, golly, you can't go wrong on either side of that trade. Those are both fantastic games. No. So uh, the game I'm referring to is I managed to pick up a copy of this while it was out of print. I found one just somewhat randomly for a reasonable price. Jake said I had to have this and I went, hmm, we can maybe work something out here. And I traded it off before I ever got a chance to play it. And I sort of regret now trading it off. In fact, it's back on my wish list. I am, of course, referring to the Alexander Fister Mombasa. God, it's such a good game. Yeah, I've only it's so good. I've only played that game once. Is there a trend here? These are games that have been played. We've only played zero or one times. I've played it twice. Yeah, it's... I haven't played it much more than you. Uh, African colonialism. We already talked about this game today, so we're not going to go back into it. But I really enjoy Alexander Pfister as a designer. Enjoy all of his games that I have played. Uh, this one being no exception. And I would love to play this one more. Yeah, I absolutely love this game. It's... He's the same... Alexander Pfister is the same designer who tore up the world last year with uh, Great Western Trail, which has got a new expansion. Is that that deck but builder he game? he does a really good... Oh, it's such a deck builder. It's, it's That's the one <laughs> universally defining feature on it. What's good about... A little inside joke there. But the cool thing about Alexander Fister's designs is he does a really good job of making these kind of weird mechanisms work together really well. So they're a little gotchy or stuff you'd be like, I've seen that in other games, but not used this way. And he does such a good job of making those seem fleshed out and meshed together in a beautiful game. Mombasa is a great game. I would say go buy it, but you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's getting a reprint soon, but it's it's awesome. It's a cool game. We should play well, it more. I do believe actually Mombasa was reprinted in 2017. So it is somewhat commonly available now. Oh, okay. you know, if I, I've got it on my board game price tracker and, you know, clocks in pretty regularly at about 40 bucks. So that tells me that it's common. Oh, really? that it is commonly available now. But I don't think it was till later in the year. So that is a game I would heartily recommend anybody track down. I know it's one that's a few years old, so it may have fallen off of people's radars. If you like what Fister does with Great Western Trail and some of his other titles, I guarantee you're going to like this one. Right. The controversial title is the fact that it's colonialism in Africa, which is a pretty dark time in history, and it does not glorify it in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, it's more abstracted. It's definitely so. It's interesting. I've seen a, for sure. a bunch of different takes from it, and I think we'd be remiss to not briefly touch about it. And talk on it. I've seen some people say it's completely bad just based on the setting alone, which I think is a fair opinion. And I've also seen some people say it's whatever all games should be able to cover anything. But I think I'm kind of in the middle. He briefly touches in the beginning saying, hey, Alexander's a little forward in the game saying, hey, I understand this is not a, the best time for the world and especially for Africa. It's not a good time to be European people and should be remembered in a, in a kind way. It was an interesting time of history from at least a historical standpoint to see the savagery of man to himself. And I think I'm I'm personally pretty happy it exists. I think that maybe they could have done a little bit better with uh, included forward that's actually longer and does explain kind of his thoughts on certain mechanisms, what they represented and how much the theme was present in the beginning. I think it'd just be kind of nice to know his standpoint moving forward. But I think compared to a lot of other themes that have been handled very inappropriately, I am very happy that they do have a little quick thing in the beginning saying, hey, we understand this isn't something. Read this book. It goes way more in detail. It absolutely does this, this, and this. So 
yeah, I mean, I'm sure you saw the post about um, the Manitoba game where it's just like they hobbled together every single idea of a First Nations people and put them in Manitoba. They have like totem poles and all this different stuff. They didn't even research the <laughs> yeah I, I saw the subject material sure. once. So, anywho. Yep. But yeah, definitely Mombasa. It's awesome. Mombasa, my number one out of your collection. What is your number one out of my collection, Jake? Uh, guess. I do actually want to know if you'll guess okay. it. Okay. I, uh, I do have a guess. Because there's a decent chance you're going to guess it. I do think I know what it is. I'm also curious if you're going to like it after you play it, but I'm going to guess anyway. I'm going to say your number one choice is The Gallerist. No, I only choose. That's a good thing. It's it's a good idea because it is high up there. I did not include games I've never played. Okay, fair enough. I actually have an honorable mentions there yeah. because oh, I have no idea. I have Lacerda's 18xx and High Frontier are my like honorable mentions of games I haven't played, but I would kill to play. And those would fit in here some point in time. It's Glory to Rome, Mark. Oh, I okay. love Glory to Rome. It's <laughs> it's by far, I think, the my favorite game you own. And that includes the games that we overlap. Wow. Okay. And it's up there. It's at least top five games you own, at least, including games that we own together. It's awesome. I want to play it more. What else can we say about it? I think it's an always auto include for me. I've ran it without you being there, which is usually the mark on whether or not I like a game. Because <laughs> um, I'd probably, I'd usually rather play my games to get them off my stupid shelf of shame. But it's an awesome game. If you ever see a copy, play it or grab it and run. Steal it from people. For sure. And if you're ever in <laughs> town so and want to experience it, look me up. Got it. So, Mark, do you have any final thoughts on our top five? Were you confused by my choices? Uh, not at all. All solid choices across the board. I'm happy to know that those are all games that I actually want to play with you also. So uh, solid. You know, you, there are some random ones I own that uh, I, I own and maybe don't really want to play, but I own them. So didn't think you'd pick that, but I'm glad to see they were all solid choices that I absolutely want to play and are high on my list as well. Good. Well, we do. We, I hope we can both think that we like good games. I was a little surprised about the Lorenzo Will Magnifico. I do need to play that one again. I've played it at every player count, too. I played it two, three and four. I played well at all. I don't know. I haven't brought that one. Your collection. You have gone very polarizing with your collection. <laughs> I have. I most certainly have. You've, you know, and I tended to pick things that would have a broader appeal based on the number of people we were playing with. You right. uh, obviously would I love to play. Well, so many of the games that I really wanted to play to your collection were disqualified because I own them, too. So that made it a right. real challenge. Do I want to play Caverna more? Yep. Do I want to play 18 CZ? Yep. yep. Do I want to play 1854? Yep. Do I want to play? There's a ton of those that are in there and just going down the list that we both own them. So they, you know, Indonesia. So I had to disqualify a lot of games just based on that off off the top of the head. Also looking more deliberately at larger games like I was skipping on games, which we both own and so forth. Right. Me too. So that's why I would say that fifth was a little more of a distant pick, but it is one that I've always looked back and go, I'd like to try to play that one more. And that was the spirit of the right. category. Yeah, we haven't really dug into that game. And I think there is more to it than we've experienced. So I'll bring that one. I think it's one that Tyler really likes it, too. It's another one of our gaming gaming members. And I think I don't think Kirk's played it, but I think he would like it kind of his wheelhouse. So yep, for sure. Well, looks like we're right at an hour and a half. Excellent. How about that? Excellent. We <laughs> promise we'd get out of here <laughs> in an hour doing. and a half. So I think we shall hold on to that promise. And for everybody uh, celebrating the holidays, happy holidays to everybody. It's been great end of the year for us and look for great things coming from the gaming moguls in 2019. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody. This has been the Gaming Moguls Podcast, co-hosted by Mark Teske and Jake Kloppenstein. Please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. If you like the Gaming Moguls Podcast, please tell a friend. Feel free to join our Board Game Geek Guild, 
guild number 3431. Find us on Instagram at GamingMoguls. Reach us via email, jake at GamingMoguls.com or mark at GamingMoguls.com. Keep your eyes open for the next episode of The Gaming Moguls, and thank you for listening.